Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Thus far the reading of God's word. Please join me once more in prayer. Lord and our God, we Thank you once again for your word, and now as we come to this passage in Ephesians, we ask that you would speak to us and teach us in your word, that you would show us glorious things so that we might praise you as you so much deserve. We ask, O Lord, that even the promised Holy Spirit would speak to us in this scripture and that the words spoken would be the very words of Christ. We ask in his name, amen. Have you ever been uh, motivated to accomplish a task by the promise of a reward? When you're a child, perhaps, and I think I've used this illustration a few times before, you might be motivated to uh, get all of your chores done or or all of the yard work that the family is undertaking by uh, the promise of a reward, such as ice cream. Or maybe uh, if you have a pool or access to a pool, you might uh, be rewarded with going swimming after you get all the work done. You, You work hard, you get your work done, and then you can go swimming. Or perhaps uh, maybe uh, children, you experience this in, in the summers. Adults, maybe uh, you undertook something like this, but uh, you participated in a reading challenge. And if you read a certain number of books over the summer, uh, you were rewarded uh, appropriately to the amount of books that you read. Now, we have all sorts of, of different examples that we could go over in uh, ways in which rewards are offered for uh, work undertaken. And because we have so many of, of these examples that we could go over, I think we can come to the conclusion that uh, encouragement by way of a reward is, is really a great motivator, isn't it? Promise of a reward motivates us to undertake uh, particular things, to, to do certain uh, acts. 
you're promised a reward for reading 100 books over the summer, you're probably more inclined to read 100 books than if you were just told, well, you could read 100 books over the summer. Now, that's perhaps extreme. But if you read 100 books over the summer, please make sure to let me know. Uh, That is quite a feat. But it's true that the promise of a reward really is a great motivator. Uh, While it's a great motivator for children uh, to work hard, get your work done, and then you can have ice cream, it's also a great motivator for for Christians, I think, to to work hard in glorifying God and praising him and, and walking in his ways. Working as unto the Lord and not to men for, for the glory of our heavenly Father. Why do I say that? Because in our text this evening, we see that we have a gracious reward in Christ, which is guaranteed to us by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You, dear Christian, You who are trusting in Christ have a gracious reward promised to you and guaranteed by the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Those are the two main things which we see in in this short little four-verse section of this doxology. That in Christ, you have a gracious reward. In Christ, you have an inheritance. We see that in verses 11 and 12, and we see also in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of promise, as Paul says. We see that in verses 13 and 14. So under those two headings this evening, I would like to show you uh, this great and glorious gift which we have been given in Christ, an inheritance, and the Holy Spirit. With that in mind, let's look now at what God's word says here in these verses. Looking first at the fact that in Christ, we have an inheritance. In verses 11 and 12, we read these things. In him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now you remember that as we just read through this entire doxology and as we have been working through it in past weeks, we've seen that the entirety of of this sentence here is meant to show us all of the glories of blessings that we have in Christ. Christ is the center of, of all of this. Our focus really ought to always be on Christ. And there is a great and grand purpose to all of these things which we are taught in this text. Namely, the purpose is that we are to be stirred up to praise the Lord our God. We're, we're to praise him because God the Father in the, his, uh, uh, the historical, not historical past, eternity past, there we go, in eternity past, uh, predestined us for salvation, for adoption, to be holy and blameless. And we see that Christ, in historical past, purchased for us redemption. And now here, Paul is telling us that in your personal past, if you are believing in Christ, you are given a great and glorious gift. He starts off here saying that in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. 
Then you might be asking, what gift? Do you say that this is a gift? Where does the word gift come in here? Well, the word gift is actually really contained in the fact that uh, Paul says you have obtained this. Now, this word obtained uh, in the form that it's in, actually in, in the Greek, is a gift. It's passive. It's not saying that you have worked for this, that you have earned this, that you went out and got this inheritance all for your own uh, by strength of your own hand, but rather that in Christ, God has been pleased to grant you this inheritance. And so it really is a gift. We have been given an inheritance. Children, you might be asking right now, what is an inheritance? Now, perhaps you've heard that word before, but you never really sat down to think about what an inheritance is. So what is it? Well, an inheritance is property. Uh, Something uh, that belonged to someone else. Property that you are given at a particular point in time. Normally, that particular point in time is at the death of the person who first owned that property. And very often, this property is family property. A father will leave an inheritance to his children. He will leave those things which he was able to uh, work for and acquire in this life. And when he dies, he gives it to his wife and his children. Or a grandfather might also leave things for his grandchildren. So an inheritance is family property left to successors. But here we see that God has given us an inheritance. And perhaps at this point in time, you're thinking, well, if the person has to die, well, how do we get an inheritance? Because God surely never dies, does he? No, we are given this inheritance because we have union with Christ. God gives to Christ all the nations of the world. Remember Psalm 2, God says to his anointed, his Messiah, Ask of me what you will. I will give you the nations as your inheritance. So Christ has his inheritance. The entire world, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. He is truly the king of all things. When we're united to Christ, we have an inheritance as well. Well, if Christ is the king of all things, if Christ's inheritance is the nations, well, what is our inheritance? Well, many things. Uh, I think, broadly speaking, by faith, Christians are the heirs of all of the blessings promised in the covenant with Abraham, which would include the whole world. Uh, By faith in Christ, Christians receive all of those things promised to Father Abraham. So we have family property given there. We inherit uh, the kingdom. We inherit eternal life. We inherit heaven. These are all gracious gifts of God given to us as our inheritance in Christ. Now, this is certainly in a different way than Christ since he is uh, the natural son, as it were, of God and, and the rightful king over all. But we, because of our union with Christ, because of our faith with Christ, are co-heirs together with him. So all of these things given to Christ are given by him also to us who are part of his church, part of his body, part of his bride. But I think our inheritance is uh, more importantly even than this, more gloriously even than this, the same inheritance that the Levites were given. 
You remember in, in Joshua 13, the, the tribes of Israel are given their allotment in the promised land. All the land is being divided and boundaries are set for, for the land given to each of the various tribes. But all of a sudden it comes to Levi and Levi is not given any land. Why? Because God says, the Lord, the God of Israel is their inheritance as he promised them. God was the inheritance of the tribe of Levi. God is the inheritance of believers who have been made priests unto the living and true God. We have been made a kingdom of priests. And as such, we have for our inheritance the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have as our inheritance the most glorious inheritance that anyone could ever get at any time. We have God as our inheritance. That is the gift which we have been given. Through union with Christ, we are given union and communion with the triune God. And this is glorious and wonderful. And I think if Paul had stopped the doxology there, that would have been more than enough, but he continues and gives us the basis of this inheritance. We have an inheritance, but what is its basis? Its basis is the sovereign grace of God. We read here that we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That is the Father who, as we saw earlier in verse 5, has predestined us for adoption. So the Father has chosen us in Christ and brought us into his family, making us children of God, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. This is all done according to God's purpose, according to the purpose of him who works everything according to his own counsel, the counsel of his will. God did not need to consult the angels and say, what do you think would be the best way uh, for me to go about giving these people of mine an inheritance? Or, or, dear angel, do you think I should bring these people into my family? He didn't have to ask them. He didn't have to ask any men. He didn't say to Adam, Adam, you're the first man. You're made in my image. What do you think should be the portion of all of your descendants? God did not have to do that because God is the all-wise God. He needs no counsel from anyone else because he knows the best, the most perfect, the most glorious and wonderful way to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And since God is immutable, when he purposes something to take place, it most certainly will take place. This inheritance is according to God's purpose. And so, dear Christian, that means that if you are trusting in Christ, this inheritance is most certainly and irrevocably yours. You have the Lord God as your portion for all eternity. That is the basis of inheritance, God's sovereign grace. Well, what is the end of this inheritance, the purpose of the inheritance? We see that in verse 12, that so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The praise of God's glory. 
That's, that's it. That is the purpose of this inheritance, to glorify God. Now, you might be thinking at this point, Paul keeps saying to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace over and over and over again. Uh, that seems a little bit repetitive. Paul is not repeating himself simply because he, he likes the way that this phrase sounds. Paul is not repeating himself simply because it's good rhetoric. Paul is repeating himself because he really, really is concerned with the glory of God. That is the central focus of his life. It's to proclaim the gospel of Christ Jesus and in doing so to glorify God, to bring praise to him, to, to gather in all of God's people who will be made members of his family so that they too can praise him. Paul is repeating this over and over again to emphasize it to all of us, to the Ephesians who he is writing to, but, but to us by extension, that God has done all of these wonderful, marvelous, glorious things, has given us all of these blessings in Christ for the purpose of his glory, of his praise. That is what we are called to do. That is man's chief end, isn't it? That's the very first question of our shorter catechism. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Paul says all of these wonderful things that God has given to us, all of these blessings which we have in Christ, cause us to fulfill our chief end. We couldn't do that on our own. We cannot do that in our own strength or in our flesh. But God, out of his great mercy and grace, provides to us all these things which we need to glorify and honor him, including this, this gift of an inheritance, this reward of the inheritance, which stirs us even more to his praise. In Christ, we have an inheritance. But only in Christ do we have this inheritance. It is only those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus who have this. Which brings up the question, are you trusting in Christ? Is he your, your portion, your joy, your love? Are you saying, well, I would really, really love to go to heaven when I die. But I really couldn't care less about serving Christ. Well, you're seeking for a portion of the inheritance, for a part of the inheritance, without going through the one in whom we have the inheritance. You must come to Christ for this inheritance. And this is a promise which is held out to you. In Christ, there is an inheritance. Trust in Christ and you will have the inheritance. Trust in Christ and you will have the Lord God as your God. You will have Christ as your Savior. You will have the Holy Spirit, as we will see, uh, living in your heart. If you come to Christ, this promise is held out to all of us this evening. Children, this promise is held out to you. Jesus says, trust in me, and I will be your portion. Come to me, and I will be your Savior. The same promise is held out to adults. Christ says to you, trust in me, come to me, and I will give you rest. I will be your God. 
And when you trust in Christ, and for those of us who are trusting in Christ, this gracious gift, this gracious inheritance which we have, should really stir us up to glorify God, shouldn't it? If you have Christ as your portion, if he is your savior, if you thus have this inheritance, give glory to God. Praise him. Thank him that he has adopted you, that he has brought you into his family, and that he has gifted you so great an inheritance. This is what we ought to do with this wonderful and glorious uh, information which the Lord shows us in these two verses. And again, Paul could have stopped here. He could have told us that in Christ we have an inheritance. Glorify God. And that would be so much cause to glorify God, wouldn't it? That would stir our hearts up uh, so greatly to glorify God. But he gives us more See, in Christ we have an inheritance, but in Christ we also have the Holy Spirit, as we see in verses 13 and 14. Paul writes in those verses, in him, Christ, again, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So you see, in Christ, we have both the person and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, given to us, applied to us. We have the person of the Holy Spirit, whom Paul here uh, in verse 13 calls the promised Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit of promise. What does he mean by this? Where was the Holy Spirit promised to us? Well, your mind might uh, immediately go to John 14 where Christ says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So Christ promised his disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit. He promised, and thus the spirit is a spirit of promise in that way. But if you think back to the Old Testament, the spirit was promised even before Christ's earthly ministry. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the Lord says, when he's speaking of of all of, of the blessings of salvation that will come, he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, the Lord has promised to give his Holy Spirit to his people both in the Old Testament and in the New. And this is a a great and wonderful promise. You know that not uh, everyone who who trusted in, in in the coming Messiah during the Old Testament period had the Holy Spirit. They didn't. The Holy Spirit was not poured out upon all of God's people at that time. But we now, uh, in this new covenant, because of the work of Christ, we all who trust in Christ have the Holy Spirit of promise. This is, this is a, a marvelous and glorious gift. This is not just some little trinket. This is the third person of the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit, given to us, coming to us, living in our hearts, guiding us, directing us, 
producing fruit in our lives. He is the one who enables us to call the Father our Father. He's the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, as Romans 8 tells us. He is the one who works the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. He is the one who works in us so that we will and work to do God's good pleasure. We have this Spirit given to us. I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself because we see that we have the promised Holy Spirit, but we also see the work of the Spirit in these verses. We are given the the spirit of promise, and the spirit of promise works in our lives gloriously and mightily. I jump to the end of verse 13, but if you look at the beginning of verse 13, we read these things. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul here talks about when you heard the gospel, when you heard the external call of the gospel, another call happened in your life if you are believing in Christ. You see, at one point in our lives, we heard the gospel. At least we who are trusting in Christ heard the gospel. At one point in your life, perhaps your parents or grandparents or perhaps a Sunday school teacher or a school teacher or someone else who you knew uh, proclaimed to you the glorious gospel of Christ. They told you that you sinned. And because of your sin, you were deserving of God's wrath and curse or deserving of condemnation in hell. But they also told you the glorious truth that the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man came to earth and, and lived a perfect life and died upon the cross for your sins and was raised on the third day. And when they told you those things, you heard the external call of the gospel. You heard, if I come to Christ, if I trust in him, he will forgive me of my sins and I will live with him forever. Perhaps you heard that call many, many, many times throughout your life. But at one point, you heard that call, and another call came at the same time. That is what we call the effectual call. The effectual call is the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's heart, where he convinces them of their sin and their misery. He, he convinces them that you really are a sinner in need of salvation, And he enlightens their minds and renews their wills so that they are persuaded and enabled to embrace Christ. He changes your heart and your mind so that you see, I'm a sinner and I need Christ. And he works in your heart so that you understand Christ is for me. So you are able to trust him, take hold of that promise and believe in him. The Spirit works in our lives effectually. He, he does this effectual call in our lives when we hear the gospel. And that is one of the works of the Spirit in our life. We also read here that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So when we believed in Christ, we were then sealed. The Holy Spirit came and lived in our hearts. Now, you know what... Uh, sealed means when when the scripture speaks of it we've explained this uh, before that in the ancient world uh, a king or an official would place his mark upon a document he would pour wax 
on it to close it all up, and then he would put his special stamp on it. And that showed that it was the property of that person. It was the property of the king if the king sealed it with his, with his special seal. It marked that document out as belonging to the king. And it protected that document, really, because if somebody saw that seal, they'd say, we probably should not mess with this or we're going to get in big trouble with the king. Well, the Holy Spirit does the same thing in a believer's life. He seals us. He marks us out as belonging to God. And he protects us. He protects us by showing that we do belong to God. How does he mark us out? How does he show us? By working, as I said earlier, uh, the fruit of the Spirit in our life. By producing in us those things which only the Spirit of God can produce. In our own strength and in our own will, we cannot produce love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, all of these things. But the Spirit of God can and does in a believer's life. Sometimes he gives a, a bountiful, abundant harvest. You say, wow, I have never been so patient in all of my life. This is definitely a work of the Spirit. Sometimes he produces a smaller crop. And you say, well, Lord, I thank you for the patience you are giving me right now. Please give me more. But whatever the case may be, it's the Spirit who is working those things in us. Because he seals us, marks us out, and produces those things in us that show us to be God's. Well, Paul also says about the Holy Spirit who is given to us that he is the guarantee of our inheritance. The guarantee of our inheritance. Another work of the Holy Spirit in our life is that he is the one who promises that we will in fact receive the inheritance which we have in Christ. Now a guarantee is like a down payment. The Spirit is, is the down payment of our inheritance. One of the very uh, amazing and wonderful and glorious things about this, though, is that the, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, this down payment of the Holy Spirit, is worth every bit as much as the entirety of our inheritance, isn't it? Our, our inheritance is all things. All of the promises of Abraham fulfilled, given to us. That's a very great and glorious inheritance, but it pales in comparison to the fact that we have been given the Holy Spirit. He's the down payment. If, if you went to go buy uh, a car and you put a down payment on it, would you put a $100,000 down payment on a $5,000 car? No, you wouldn't. But that is effectively what God has done for us. He has given us the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance, the down payment. Priceless, above all value, is given to us as a down payment. And that is the promise that we will indeed receive our inheritance. Because we are given the Spirit until we acquire possession of it, until that last day, that final day, when either we are um, carried up uh, to meet the Lord in the air, or we close our eyes in death, should the Lord tarry. The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. 
until that day. And this, again, is to the praise of God's glory. This, too, should cause us to glorify the Lord with all of our heart. And I think we ought to take great encouragement from this. I think this ought to just cause us to to be stirred up, not only to the praise of God, but, but to comfort and confidence in him. You see, when the trials of life are pressing upon you, when things are not going the way that you think they ought to go, remember that you still have the Holy Spirit in your heart. He still guarantees you that you are God's child and that one day you will be with your Savior forever. Whatever trials or tribulations are are thrown upon you during life, you still have this blessed promise that you belong to God and nothing can take that away from you. No one can separate you from the love of God in Christ and the Spirit is the guarantee of that. Let that be encouragement and and fuel in your life to, to cause you to to keep on going after Christ, to, to press forward and, and follow after Christ. In the book of Hebrews speaks of, of the supremacy of Christ over all things and the gloriousness of Christ. It was written to Christians who were, who were being uh, oppressed, who were struggling, who were going through various trials. And the whole point of the book of Hebrews is to say, Christ is worth it, keep on. And the guarantee, of the Holy Spirit reminds us that Christ is worth it. Keep on. Keep going. You know, the promise of, of reward uh, really helps motivate us in this life. If a child is promised ice cream after yard work, that really motivates them to, to work hard and to keep on. We have such a more glorious promise. We have the promise, not of ice cream, but we have the promise of Christ, of spending eternity together with him, of of being co-heirs together with him. So let us keep on, continue trusting in Christ, continuing to ask the Spirit to produce fruit in our life, for the Lord's glory and honor, because we have been called to glorify the Lord. We've been given the Holy Spirit to work all these things in us for God's glory. We've been given the promise of an inheritance to spur us onward to God's glory. We've been given redemption in Christ so that we would be a people for his glory. And the Lord did all of these things, planned all of these things before the foundation of the world for his glory. Brothers and sisters, in light of these things, let us seek by the Spirit's help to glorify God, to fulfill our chief end, the glorifying of God and the enjoying of him forever. Let's close in prayer. Our Lord and our God, you alone do wondrous works. You alone are 
most excellent in all of your glory and all of your attributes, Lord. This, this doxology in Ephesians has told us so many marvelous and wonderful things. Marvelous and wonderful things about your great love toward us, about the great redemption which we have in Christ, about the work of the Holy Spirit in, in applying Christ's work to us and calling us to him through the gospel and sealing us and guaranteeing that we will indeed spend eternity with our God. We thank you for this, Lord. We ask that you would remind us of these things. That in good times and in bad, we would remember that you are our portion and that we would be stirred up to live our lives joyfully before you to your glory and honor. Lord, we ask that you would do these things and we ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, let's take a few moments now to meditate on this passage uh, that we have seen before us this evening and to to think about this great gift of the inheritance and the gift of the Holy Spirit which we have in Christ.